Front Matter of the Prince. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Adams. The Prince by Niccolò Machiavelli. Translated by William K. Marriott. Introduction Niccolo Machiavelli was born at Florence on 3rd of May, 1469. He was the second son of Bernardo di Niccolo Machiavelli, a lawyer of some repute, and of Bartolomia di Stefano Nelli, his wife. Both parents were members of the old Florentine nobility. His life falls naturally into three periods, each of which, singularly enough, constitutes a distinct and important era in the history of Florence. His youth was concurrent with the greatness of Florence as an Italian power under the guidance of Lorenzo de Medici, Il Magnifico. The downfall of the Medician Florence occurred in 1494, in which year Machiavelli entered the public service. During his official career, Florence was free under the government of a republic, which lasted until 1512, when the Medici returned to power and Machiavelli lost his office. The Medici again ruled Florence from 1512 until 1527, when they were once more driven out. This was the period of Machiavelli's literary activity and increasing influence, but he died within a few weeks of the expulsion of the Medici on 22nd June 1527 in his 58th year without having regained office. Heading Youth, ages 1 to 25, 1469 to 94 Although there is little recorded of the youth of Machiavelli, the Florence of those days is so well known that the early environment of this representative citizen may be easily imagined. Florence has been described as a city with two opposite currents of life, one directed by the fervent and austere Savonarola, the other by the splendor-loving Lorenzo. Savonarola's influence upon the young Machiavelli must have been slight, for, although at one time he wielded immense power over the fortunes of Florence, he only furnished Machiavelli with a subject of a jibe in the Prince, where he is cited as an example of an unarmed prophet who came to a bad end. Whereas the magnificence of the Medician rule during the life of Lorenzo appeared to have impressed Machiavelli strongly, for he frequently recurs to it in his writings, and it is to Lorenzo's grandson that he dedicates the prince. Machiavelli, in his History of Florence, gives us a picture of the young men among whom his youth was passed. He writes, They were freer than their forefathers in dress and living, and spent more in other kinds of excesses, consuming their time and money in idleness, gaming, and women. Their chief aim was to appear well-dressed, and to speak with wit and acuteness, whilst he who could wound others the most cleverly was thought the wisest. In a letter to his son Guido, Machiavelli shows why youth should avail itself of its opportunities for study, and leads us to infer that his own youth had been so occupied. 
He writes, I have received your letter, which has given me the greatest pleasure, especially because you tell me you are quite restored in health, than which I could have no better news. For, if God grant life to you, and to me, I hope to make a good man of you, if you are willing to do your share. Then, writing of a new patron, he continues, This will turn out well for you, but it is necessary for you to study. Since, then, you have no longer the excuse of illness, take pains to study letters and music, for you see what honour is done to me for the little skill I have. Therefore, my son, if you wish to please me, and to bring success and honour to yourself, do write and study, because others will help you if you help yourself. Heading. Office, ages 25 to 43, 1494 to 1512. The second period of Machiavelli's life was spent in the service of the Free Republic of Florence, which flourished, as stated above, from the expulsion of the Medici in 1494 until their return in 1512. After serving four years in one of the public offices, he was appointed Chancellor and Secretary to the Second Chancery, the Ten of Liberty and Peace. Here we are on firm ground when dealing with the events of Machiavelli's life, for during this time he took a leading part in the affairs of the Republic, and we have its decrees, records, and dispatches to guide us, as well as his own writings. A mere recapitulation of a few of his transactions with the statesmen and soldiers of his time gives a fair indication of his activities, and supplies the sources from which he drew the experiences and characters which illustrate the prince. His first mission was in 1499 to Catherina Sforza, my lady of Forley, of the prince, from whose conduct and fate he drew the moral that it is far better to earn the confidence of the people than to rely on fortresses. This is a very noticeable principle in Machiavelli, and is urged by him in many ways as a matter of vital importance to princes. In 1500 he was sent to France to obtain terms from Louis the Twelfth for continuing the war against Pisa. This king it was who, in his conduct of affairs in Italy, committed the five capital errors in statecraft summarized in The Prince, and was consequently driven out. He, also, it was who made the dissolution of his marriage a condition of support to Pope Alexander the Sixth which leads machiavelli to refer those who urge that such promises should be kept to what he has written concerning the faith of princes machiavelli's public life was largely occupied with events arising out of the ambitions of pope alexander the sixth and his son cesare borgia the duke valentino and these characters fill a large space of the prince Machiavelli never hesitates to cite the actions of the Duke for the benefit of usurpers who wish to keep the states they have seized. He can, indeed, find no precepts to offer so good as the pattern of Cesare Borgia's conduct, insomuch that Cesare is acclaimed by some critics as the hero of the Prince. Yet, in the Prince, the Duke is in point of fact cited as the type of the man who rises on the fortune of others and 
falls with them, who takes every course that might be expected from a prudent man, but the course which will save him, who is prepared for all eventualities but the one which happens, and who, when all his abilities fail to carry him through, exclaims that it was not his fault, but an extraordinary and unforeseen fatality. On the death of Pius III in 1503, Machiavelli was sent to Rome to watch the election of his successor, and there he saw Cesare Borgia cheated into allowing the choice of the college to fall on Giuliano delle Rovere, Julius II, who was one of the cardinals that had most reason to fear the duke. Machiavelli, when commenting on this election, says that he who thinks new favours will cause great personages to forget old injuries deceives himself. Julius did not rest until he had ruined Cesare. It was to Julius II that Machiavelli was sent in 1506, when that pontiff was commencing his enterprise against Bologna, which he brought to a successful issue, as he did many of his other adventures, owing chiefly to his impetuous character. It is in reference to Pope Julius that Machiavelli moralizes on the resemblance between fortune and women, and concludes that it is the bold rather than the cautious man that will win and hold them both. It is impossible to follow here the varying fortunes of the Italian states, which in 1507 were controlled by France, Spain, and Germany, with results that have lasted to our day. We are concerned with those events, and with the three great actors in them, so far only as they impinge on the personality of Machiavelli. He had several meetings with Louis the Twelfth of France, and his estimate of that monarch's character has already been alluded to. Machiavelli has painted Ferdinand of Aragon as the man who accomplished great things under the cloak of religion, but who in reality had no mercy, faith, humanity, or integrity, and who, had he allowed himself to be influenced by such motives, would have been ruined. The Emperor Maximilian was one of the most interesting men of the age, and his character has been drawn by many hands, but Machiavelli, who was an envoy at his court in 1507-8, reveals the secret of his many failures when he describes him as a secretive man, without force of character, ignoring the human agencies necessary to carry his schemes into effect, and never insisting on the fulfilment of his wishes. The remaining years of Machiavelli's official career were filled with events arising out of the League of Cambrai, made in 1508 between the three great European powers already mentioned and the Pope, with the object of crushing the Venetian Republic. This result was attained in the Battle of Vaila, when Venice lost in one day all that she had won in eight hundred years. Florence had a difficult part to play during these events, complicated as they were, by the feud which broke out between the Pope and the French, because friendship with France had dictated the entire policy of the Republic. When, in 1511, Julius II finally formed the Holy League against France, and with the assistance of the Swiss drove the French out of Italy, Florence lay at the mercy of the Pope, and had to submit to his terms, one of which was that the Medici should be restored.
The return of the Medici to Florence on 1st of September 1512, and the consequent fall of the Republic, was the signal for the dismissal of Machiavelli and his friends, and thus put an end to his public career, for, as we have seen, he died without regaining office. Heading Literature and Death, age 43 to 58, 1512 to 27. On the return of the Medici, Machiavelli, who for a few weeks had vainly hoped to retain his office under the new masters of Florence, was dismissed by decree dated 7th November 1512. Shortly after this, he was accused of complicity in an abortive conspiracy against the Medici, imprisoned and put to the question by torture. The new Medician Pope, Leo X, procured his release, and he retired to his small property at San Castiano, near Florence, where he devoted himself to literature. In a letter to Francesco Vittori, dated 13th December 1513, he has left a very interesting description of his life at this period, which elucidates his methods and his motives in writing The Prince. After describing his daily occupations with his family and neighbours, he writes, the evening being come, I return home and go to my study. At the entrance I pull off my peasant clothes, covered with dust and dirt, and put on my noble court dress, and thus becomingly reclothed, I pass into the ancient courts of the men of old, where, being lovingly received by them, I am fed with that food which is mine alone, where I do not hesitate to speak with them and to ask for the reason of their actions, and they in their benignity answer me, and for four hours I feel no weariness, I forget every trouble, poverty does not dismay, death does not terrify me, I am possessed entirely by those great men." and because dante says knowledge doth come of learning well retained unfruitful else i have noted down what i have gained from their conversation and have composed a small work on principalities where i pour myself out as fully as i can in meditation on the subject discussing what a principality is what kinds there are how they can be acquired how they can be kept why they are lost and if any of my fancies ever pleased you, this ought not to displease you. And to a prince, especially to a new one, it should be welcome. Therefore I dedicate it to his magnificent Giuliano. Filippo Casavecchio has seen it, he will be able to tell you what is in it, and of the discourses I have had with him, nevertheless I am still enriching and polishing it. The little book suffered many vicissitudes before attaining the form in which it has reached us. Various mental influences were at work during its composition, its title and patron were changed, and for some unknown reason it was finally dedicated to Lorenzo de' Medici. Although Machiavelli discussed with Casavecchio whether it should be sent or presented in person to the patron, there is no evidence that Lorenzo ever received it or even read it. He certainly never gave Machiavelli any employment. 
Although it was plagiarized during Machiavelli's lifetime, The Prince was never published by him, and its text is still disputable. Machiavelli concludes his letter to Vittori thus, and as to this little thing, his book, when it has been read, it will be seen that during the fifteen years I have given to the study of statecraft, I have neither slept nor idled, and men ought ever to desire to be served by one who has reaped experience at the expense of others and of my loyalty none could doubt because having always kept faith i could not now learn how to break it for he who has been faithful and honest as i have cannot change his nature and my poverty is a witness to my honesty before machiavelli had got the prince off his hands he commenced his discourse on the first decade of titus livius which should be read concurrently with the prince these and several minor works occupied him until the year fifteen eighteen when he accepted a small commission to look after the affairs of some florentine merchants at genoa in 1519 the Medician rulers of Florence granted a few political concessions to her citizens, and Machiavelli, with others, was consulted upon a new constitution under which the great council was to be restored, but on one pretext or another it was not promulgated. In 1520 the Florentine merchants again had recourse to Machiavelli to settle their difficulties with Luca but this year was chiefly remarkable for his re-entry into florentine literary society where he was much sought after and also for the production of his art of war it was in the same year that he received a commission at the instance of cardinal de medici to write the history of florence a task which occupied him until fifteen twenty five his return to popular favour may have determined the medici to give him this employment for an old writer observes that an able statesman out of work like a huge whale will endeavour to overturn the ship unless he has an empty cask to play with when the history of florence was finished machiavelli took it to rome for presentation to his patron giuliano de medici who had in the meanwhile become pope under the title of clement the seventh it is somewhat remarkable that as in fifteen thirteen machiavelli had written the prince for the instruction of the medici after they had just regained power in florence so in fifteen twenty five he dedicated the history of florence to the head of the family when its ruin was now at hand in that year the battle of pavia destroyed the french rule in italy and left francis i a prisoner in the hands of his great rival charles v this was followed by the sack of rome upon the news of which the popular party at florence threw off the yoke of the medici who were once more banished machiavelli was absent from florence at this time but hastened his return hoping to secure his former office of secretary to the ten of liberty and peace unhappily he was taken ill soon after he reached florence where he died on twenty second june fifteen twenty seven heading the man and his works
No one can say where the bones of Machiavelli rest, but modern Florence has decreed him a stately cenotaph in Santa Croce by the side of her most famous sons, recognizing that, whatever other nations may have found in his works, Italy found in them the idea of her unity and the germs of her renaissance among the nations of Europe. Whilst it is idle to protest against the world-wide and evil signification of his name, it may be pointed out that the harsh construction of his doctrine, which this sinister reputation implies, was unknown to his own day, and that the researches of recent times have enabled us to interpret him more reasonably. It is due to these inquiries that the shape of an unholy necromancer which so long haunted men's vision has begun to fade. Machiavelli was undoubtedly a man of great observation, acuteness, and industry, noting with appreciative eye whatever passed before him, and with his supreme literary gift turning it to account in his enforced retirement from affairs. He does not present himself, nor is he depicted by his contemporaries, as a type of that rare combination, the successful statesman and author, for he appears to have been only moderately prosperous in his several embassies and political employments. He was misled by Catherine Sforza, ignored by Louis the Twelfth, overawed by Cesare Borgia. Several of his embassies were quite barren of results. His attempts to fortify Florence failed, and the soldiery that he raised astonished everybody by their cowardice. In the conduct of his own affairs he was timid and time-serving. He dared not appear by the side of Sodorini, to whom he owed so much for fear of compromising himself. His connection with the Medici was open to suspicion, and Giuliano appears to have recognized his real forte when he set him to write the history of Florence rather than employ him in the state and it is on the literary side of his character and there alone that we find no weakness and no failure although the light of almost four centuries has been focused on the prince its problems are still debatable and interesting because they are the eternal problems between the ruled and their rulers such as they are, its ethics are those of Machiavelli's contemporaries, yet they cannot be said to be out of date so long as the governments of Europe rely on material rather than on moral forces. Its historical incidents and personages become interesting by reason of the uses which Machiavelli makes of them to illustrate his theories of government and conduct. Leaving out of consideration those maxims of state which still furnish some European and Eastern statesmen with principles of action, the prince is bestrewn with truths that can be proved at every turn. Men are still the dupes of their simplicity and greed, as they were in the days of Alexander the Sixth. The cloak of religion still conceals the vices which Machiavelli laid bare in the character of Ferdinand of Aragon. Men will not look at things as they really are, but as they wish them to be, and are ruined. 
In politics there are no perfectly safe courses. Prudence consists in choosing the least dangerous ones. Then, to pass to a higher plane, Machiavelli reiterates that although crimes may win an empire, they do not win glory. Necessary wars are just wars, and the arms of a nation are hallowed when it has no other resource but to fight. It is the cry of a far later day than Machiavelli's that government should be elevated into a living moral force, capable of inspiring the people with a just recognition of the fundamental principles of society. To this high argument the prince contributes but little. Machiavelli always refused to write either of men or of governments otherwise than as he found them, and he writes with such skill and insight that his work is of abiding value. But what invests the prince with more than a merely artistic or historical interest is the incontrovertible truth that it deals with the great principles which still guide nations and rulers in their relationship with each other and their neighbours. In translating the prince, my aim has been to achieve at all costs an exact literal rendering of the original, rather than a fluent paraphrase adapted to the modern notions of style and expression. Machiavelli was no facile phrase-monger. The conditions under which he wrote obliged him to weigh every word. His themes were lofty, his substance grave, his manner nobly plain and serious. Quiseo fuit unquam in partiundus rebus, in defiendis in explandis pressior, in the prince, it may be truly said, there is reason assignable, not only for every word, but for the position of every word. To an Englishman of Shakespeare's time, the translation of such a treatise was in some ways a comparatively easy task, for in those times the genius of the English more nearly resembled that of the Italian language. To the Englishman of today, it is not so simple. To take a simple example, the word intratenere, employed by Machiavelli to indicate the policy adopted by the Roman Senate towards the weaker states of Greece, would by an Elizabethan be correctly rendered entertain, and every contemporary reader would understand what was meant by saying that Rome entertained the Aetolians and the Achaeans without augmenting their power. But today such a phrase would seem obsolete and ambiguous, if not unmeaning. We are compelled to say that Rome maintained friendly relations with the Aetolians, etc., using four words to do the work of one. I have tried to preserve the pithy brevity of the Italian, so far as was consistent with an absolute fidelity to the sense. If the result be an occasional asperity, I can only hope that the reader, in his eagerness to reach the author's meaning, may overlook the roughness of the road that leads him to it. The following is a list of the works of Machiavelli. Principal works. Discorso sopra le cose di Pisa, fourteen ninety nine. Del modo di trattare i popoli della Valdichiana ribellate, fifteen 
1502, del modo tenuto dal duco Valentino nell'ammazzare Vitalozzo Vitelli, Oliverotto da Fermo, etc., 1502. Discorso sopra la provisione del denaro, 1502. Decenale primo, poem in terza rima, 1506. Retrati della cose dell'Alemania, 1508-12. The Cenale Secondo, 1509. Retrati della Cose di Francia, 1510. Di Corsi Sopra la Prima Deca di T. Livio, 3 volumes, 1512-17. Il Principe, 1513. Andrea, comedy translated from Terence, 1513. Question mark. Mandragola, prose comedy in five acts with prologue in verse, 1513. Della Lingua, dialogue, 1514. Clizia, comedy in prose, 1515. Question mark. Belfagor Archidiavolo, novel, 1515. Asino Doro, Poem in Terza Rima, 1517. Dell'arte della guerra, 1519-20. Discorso sopra il riformare lo stato di Firenze, 1520. Sommario della cose della città di Luca, 1520. Vita di Castruccio Castracani da Luca, 1520. Historie Fiorentina, eight books, fifteen twenty-one to five. Frammenti Storici, fifteen twenty-five. Other poems include Sonetti, Canzoni, Ottave, and Canticana Schieleschi. Editions Aldo, Venice, fifteen forty-six. Della Tertina, fifteen fifty. Cambiaggi, Florence, six volumes, seventeen eighty two to five. Dei Classici, Milan, ten, eighteen thirteen. Silvestri, nine volumes, eighteen twenty to two. Passerini, Fanfani, Milanese, six volumes, only published eighteen seventy three to seven. Minor works, edited F. L. Polidori, eighteen fifty two. Lettere familiari, edited E. L. V. C., eighteen eighty three. Two editions, one with excisions. Credited writings, edited G. Canestrini, eighteen fifty seven. Letters to F. Vittori, C. A. Rodolfi. Pensieri intorno alla scopo di N. Machiavelli nel libro Il Principi, etc. Di Ferrara, The Private Correspondence of Niccolò Machiavelli, 1929. Dedication to the magnificent Lorenzo di Piero de' Medici. Those who strive to obtain the good graces of a prince are accustomed to come before him with such things as they hold most precious, or in which they see him take most delight, whence one often sees horses, arms, cloth of gold, precious stones, and similar ornaments presented to princes, worthy of their greatness. 
desiring therefore to present myself to your magnificence with some testimony of my devotion towards you i have not found among my possessions anything which i hold more dear than or value so much as the knowledge of the actions of great men acquired by long experience in contemporary affairs and a continual study of antiquity which having reflected upon it with great and prolonged diligence i now send digested into a little volume to your magnificence and although i may consider this work unworthy of your countenance nevertheless i trust much to your benignity that it may be acceptable seeing that it is not possible for me to make a better gift than to offer you the opportunity of understanding in the shortest time all that i have learnt in so many years and with so many troubles and dangers which work i have not embellished with swelling or magnificent words nor stuffed with rounded periods nor with any extrinsic allurements or adornments whatever with which so many are accustomed to embellish their works for i have wished either that no honour should be given it or else that the truth of the matter and the weightiness of the theme shall make it acceptable nor do i hold with those who regard it as a presumption if a man of low and humble condition dare to discuss and settle the concerns of princes because just as those who draw landscapes place themselves below in the plain to contemplate the nature of the mountains and of lofty places and in order to contemplate the plains place themselves upon high mountains even so to understand the nature of the people it needs to be a prince and to understand that of princes it needs to be of the people take then your magnificence this little gift in the spirit in which i send it wherein if it be diligently read and considered by you you will learn my extreme desire that you should attain that greatness which fortune and your other attributes promise and if your magnificence from the summit of your greatness will sometimes turn your eyes to these lower regions you will see how unmeritedly i suffer a great and continued malignity of fortune end of front matter recording by paul adams www dot com